Good morning, I'm Judy. I'm going to read from Romans 8, 1 to 5. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. Thanks. Good morning, Pathway. Uh, I'm Mark, uh, a member of the leadership team here. It's my privilege to share with you today a sermon, a Bible talk that has been prepared by one of our own members. Uh, in case you arrived here today expecting something different, someone other than me up here now, uh, you're correct. We had planned an intergenerational service today, but for some good reasons, uh, that I'm not going to go into now, we've parked that service and we'll come back to it another time. Now that change did leave us with a bit of a gap. Uh, I put forward that I wasn't able to prepare a message, uh, but that I'd be willing to present one that had already been written. Ryan, our associate pastor, set about finding me something to share. He chose a message that was prepared in-house by one of Pathways members who participated in the Preacher's Workshop last year. He's tweaked some of the examples and stories to suit me reading it. I think it'll become clear as to why. Thanks for bringing the Bible reading, Judy. Before I share the sermon, will you join me in prayer? Father God, thank you for the Bible. Thanks that we're free to read it, discuss it, proclaim it and keep it. As we listen in, in now to an exploration of Romans 8, 1-5, would you use this short section of the Bible to speak to us today? No matter, no matter if this is the first time we've been to church or the thousandth time, would you draw our attention to you? with not only our ears, but our hearts also. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We live in a world where there is sin and death. Death is inevitable. We are all going to die. Sin causes conflict in our world and communities. Hate, evil and sadness, slavery, Wars, famine and injustice. Brothers and sisters fighting. Marriages falling apart. Life can be hard. We surely need saving 
from both sin and death. But the question remains, what can save us? The answer to this question can be found in Romans 8, 1 to 5. Here it shows us how we can be saved. The text shows us and assures us three ways that we are saved. We are saved through Jesus' payment. We are saved through God's plan. We are saved through the Holy Spirit's power. The overarching theme in Romans is the basics of the gospel, God's plan for our salvation. The book of Romans is a letter Paul wrote to the church in Rome. This church was mostly made up of Gentiles, but there were some Jews there as well. Romans was written around 57 AD, about 30 years after Christ's death and resurrection. There are 16 chapters in the book of Romans, and our text today comes right in the middle of the book. Romans chapter 1 to 7 were written to ensure that the Roman church knew the theology of the gospel and what they should believe in. In Romans chapter 8, there's a shift from the theology of our faith to the comfort that our faith brings. The start of verse 1 might be the very best no in the whole Bible. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul seeks to answer the questions he outlines in chapter 7 with the words of chapter 8. Paul asks a question right at the end of chapter 7. He writes, Who will rescue me from this body of death? The answer is found here in the first verses of Romans chapter 8. We are saved through Jesus' payment. We are saved through God's plan. We are saved through the Holy Spirit's power. Let's look at these three assurances now in more detail. We are saved through Jesus' payment. Why is there now no condemnation? How is it that we are not pronounced guilty, that we are not sentenced and punished? For those who are in Christ, even those so rightly deserving condemnation are not pronounced guilty. We are not condemned because through Jesus we have been given life and set free. The price Jesus paid has power over sin and death. This really is the best news. Sin and death have been defeated through the price Jesus paid. We are free from sin's control and death now has no lasting effect on us. All of us need saving from sin. There is not one of us who hasn't lied said an unkind word or been jealous. The list goes on. All sin is bad. What we might say is little or even normal, all of it condemns us to death. Yet, because of Christ's payment, we are set free. We won't be punished. Imagine you've committed a crime. You've gone to court and the jury has found you guilty. You are deserving of death for what you have committed. Your death is inevitable. As you walk towards those who are to end your life, you know this is what you rightfully deserve. 
right as it's going to happen, Jesus steps into your place. Jesus takes your fall. For though you are deserving of punishment, you are now not condemned. In your place, Jesus has taken your fall and died so that you might live. Jesus paid the price through his death on the cross and his resurrection three days later. Jesus was treated as a sinner so we could be treated as righteous. If you are in Christ Jesus, you can know that you are saved from sin and death because Jesus has already paid it all. His sacrifice was once and for all. Therefore, we can know we are saved because of the price Jesus paid. So what does that mean for us here and now? Well, we have a new life to live. One that isn't bound by sin, guilt or condemnation. We've been set free by Christ's payment. We therefore do not need to live as one eaten up by guilt and shame. We can say to the devil when he comes to condemn us that, no, we are not condemned because Christ has paid it all. We also have the greatest gift to share with the world. There is a way that you can be saved, a way you can be set free. Jesus has paid the price on the cross. What a burden that should lift off our shoulders. We should live out our life in freedom, not to do as we please, but in gratitude to God for all he has done for us. We can know we are saved not only because of Christ's payment, but because of God's plan. God knew we would sin and that our death was therefore inevitable. He knew that we would never be able to save ourselves. And so God made a plan to save us. Let's look again at our text, verses 3 to 4 states, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. The text here speaks a lot about our flesh. Our flesh is neither good or bad, but more refers to our humanness. It could be understood as the gateway to sin, not sin itself. The way of flesh or human desires leads to death, which is in contrast with the way the Spirit of God leads to life. Back in the Old Testament times, God gave his people, the Israelites, the law. Its purpose was to point his people to holiness. But the law could not defeat sin. It could only detect it. It could point out the human nature or the flesh and the need to change. Therefore, God needed a plan to defeat sin and death. We are so drawn to sin 
Our flesh is weak. See how God's plan was to send his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh? Not sinful, but like us, human, to save us. In order to defeat sin, Jesus had to identify with us who are bound by sin. Jesus, in essence, had to walk in our shoes, yet he did it perfectly and without sin. This plan was so that the righteous requirement might be fully met in us through Jesus' payment. The condemnation we deserved passed over us, not because of anything we could do, but because of Jesus' perfect sacrifice. He stood in our place. He was our substitute, which was part of God's good plan all along. Years ago, when I was a young apprentice at William Adams over in Somerset, I would drive to work every weekday. Over this four-year period, there were roadworks I encountered every day. The section of road called Round Hill had been detected as a problem for years. Each day I would slow down during the commute or sometimes I even had to stop and wait. It was hard to see how this was any improvement at the time because it was actually worse than it used to be. Yet there was an overall plan. I now drive that same road to work each day and I can now see the outcome of the plan. And it is so much better than it used to be. While this pales in significance to God's plan, it is true that throughout the Old Testament, we can see how the law was able to detect the problem, yet it wasn't until Jesus came down, fully human, yet fully God, that we can see how God's plan was not only to detect sin, but also to defeat sin and death. Understanding that God has a plan to save us should be a comfort to us. God worked out his plan of salvation over thousands of years, culminating in Christ's death and resurrection. And he will continue to work out this plan until the end of the world as we know it. We can therefore take comfort that God is sovereign and in control. We are also invited to join him in fulfilling this plan to save mankind. How exciting is it that God would allow us not only to be saved through his plan, but that we can be part of it in sharing his good news with our hurting and broken world. Let's stop and remember what we've seen so far in terms of the first part of Romans 8. We've been saved through Christ's payment and therefore have no condemnation, but instead a life of freedom. We are also saved through God's plan and can know God is in control and has a plan to continue to save us and this broken world. We're about to explore how this plan is carried out through the Holy Spirit's power. There are hints of the Holy Spirit's power being at work throughout the beginning of this chapter. In verse 2, we see it's the law of the Spirit who gives life. In verse 4, we see that those living by the power of the Spirit 
are saved in God's plan. And in verse 5 we read, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance or in obedience with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. It is the Spirit's power working in and through us that assures us of our salvation. We are not just set free from the power of sin and death so that we can go to heaven. But our salvation is having the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives right now. The contrast between flesh and spirit is what Paul spends most of chapter 7 talking about. This is his way of saying there is no... Sorry. This is his way of saying there are two ways to live. By the flesh or by the spirit. Here, I believe, he shares it with his readers again to ensure that they are living out a right response to their salvation. The flesh, or our unconscious desires, appeal to our two most basic human emotions. I want and I fear. Think of all that you want. If it's not godly, then it is of the flesh. In 1 John 4.18, we are told that God's perfect love drives out all fear. If we are fearful, that is of the flesh. The ways of the flesh lead to death. It leads to feeling unsatisfied with what we have and living in fear. Living by the flesh will pull us into sinful patterns. While we have no condemnation because of Jesus' payment, we are in need of the Holy Spirit's power to live in obedience to this new way of living. I think it's clear here in verse 5 that the way we live, either following our flesh or following the Spirit, helps us to recognise in ourselves if we are living out our salvation. I am married to Jess. That is a reality because of the wedding we had and the vows we made to each other. But our marriage didn't just start and finish with our wedding. It is a daily decision. We need to make sure that we are living as if we are married, thinking of each other before ourselves, doing things that bring joy to the other person and spending quality time together. The strength of our marriage is seen in the outworking of the way we live our lives in relation to each other. This is the same with our salvation. We are saved because of what Jesus did on the cross, but there is a daily outworking of this in the way we think, act and spend our time. If we are saved through God's plan and Christ's payment then we must allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through us to put our flesh, our wants and fears to death so that we are living in accordance with the Spirit. Galatians 5.24 explains, Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. 
Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We are called to crucify our flesh. This is pretty strong language. Crucifixion was a horrible way to die, but it was definitely intentional and it did the job well. We are to do that to our flesh, which is our sinful nature with its passions and desires. If we are unsure of where we sit, we just need to see what our mind is set on. Whatever it is set on helps us determine if we are walking in the spirit or the flesh. Then it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we need to crucify our flesh. Here I think that our salvation, while being secure in the price Jesus paid and part of God's plan, is a daily or maybe even minute by minute, second by second, working out through the power of the Holy Spirit. The view of Christianity that we are saved so we can just go to heaven is flawed. God is showing us here that our salvation is so much more than just an afterlife. It's having his spirit working in and through our lives right now, helping us to speak kindly, to love others, to really love them, and to live in a way that reflects him to others. Because we are set free by Jesus' payment and through God's plan, we should live in and out of this freedom, setting our minds on the spirit and what he desires. It is the Holy Spirit's power that is the comfort we can live out this new life we're being called into. To wrap up, Romans 8 is a comfort to us. Yes, we live in a fallen world. It is hard and painful. But Jesus has paid the price. God has a plan and through the Holy Spirit's power we can continue to live out God's plan of redemption in this world. The Christian life is not just about going to heaven. It is way more than that. Our life as Christ followers is also about doing life here on earth now. Romans 8 tells us about what God is doing in the world. He's not just waiting around for heaven. God will work out things for our good, right here and right now. He's working in our lives, and this is a great comfort. God has more for us in the Christian life than just being saved from sin and death. So what does that mean for us as we leave from here? Well, that really depends on where we are at in life. You might have never heard or thought about the fact that you need saving from sin and death. If this is the case, I encourage you to see through these verses that you can be saved. And in fact, God wants you to be saved. Ask him, seek him and come into this life of hope and freedom. If this is you and you're still unsure, talk to someone today. The person you might have come with or a church leader or someone you feel comfortable with. Please ask questions and see what this is all about. What about those of us who already know this saving payment, plan and power in your life and yet you struggle to live life as if you are free?
Perhaps you are controlled by guilt, fear and your sinful desires. Can I encourage you that Romans 8 here assures us of our new life and freedom. Talk with God, spend time with the Holy Spirit, mull over this passage and others in the Bible and allow his power to really set you free. Lastly, you might already know this freedom, the peace and hope there is in knowing God. If that's you, can I encourage you to share this good news with others? We live in a hurting, lonely and broken world. A world desperate for the answers to what can save them. You know the answer. You have the answer. So please go and share this with the world and allow God's work in their lives to set them free. Will you again pray with me? Father God, I'm asking that we'd all know a little more the payment, plan and power we spoke of after hearing the sermon today. But don't, don't let us just know it, God. Bring us to a place of living it. If we need to act on something we've heard, make us do it. God, all thanks to you for what you've done for us. Amen. Thanks and credit to Bianca, who's spent the time exploring Romans 8, 1 to 5, and with prayer pieced that sermon together as part of the preacher's workshop. Spoiler alert, there is another preacher's workshop on the radar this year. You'll hear more about that next week. Back to the music team before a leadership update.